This is the Marvelous People Horror Stories Podcast. Welcome, you marvelous person. I'm Robert Crandall, and I'm grateful you're here and that you've decided to listen to this episode. Remember, all episodes can be found at HorrorStoriesPodcast.com or any of the many places podcasts are found on the platforms and apps of your choice, and we appreciate your listening. The best way to search for this podcast is to search my name, Robert Crandall, instead of the name of the show. As many of you know, we invite you to send in nightmares to be read on the show, or something strange happened. We want you to send that in as well. You can send that to my horrible dream at gmail.com. And we have a submission from Canaan from Melbourne, Australia. And so Canaan writes, Dear Robert, I hope everything is fine at your end. I'm Canaan from Melbourne, Australia. I'm writing to share with you one of the most frightening occurrences that has ever happened to me many years ago. It was until recently that I had a chance to share this childhood event with Mike. He encouraged me to send this to you and even very generously offered to develop my text into a complete story. He definitely deserves greater credit since I have, uh, but only provided a skeleton idea of uh, what happened to me in my childhood. This email and uh, this story would never have been possible for not for him. So it's definitely an honor to me uh, that you could read this story and even use it on your amazing show. Looking forward to listening to your upcoming marvelous episodes. Thank you so much, Canaan, for those kind, kind words. And so Canaan writes, At the end of this nightmare, you might ask me why on earth I have not written about it all these years. I guess I've just been lazy and I don't really like to share with other people. Another reason is that I don't want its magnitude underestimated. They are real, and only I know what I've gone through. But to many, this account may sound just like one of many horror stories out there. So it happened at night. I was alone at home, and I heard such awful outbursts of noise from outside. I didn't know what had happened, but somehow I knew something was not right. I heard something like, bring her to the idol. And when I opened the door, I saw everyone was hurrying towards one of my neighbor's houses. It was owned by a family of four, the husband, the wife, and two kids. From the rushing people, I heard that the wife, Elena, was badly hurt and almost lost consciousness. I got terrified by hearing it and rushed to my auntie's house, who was also my neighbor. My auntie revealed to me that Elena suddenly lost consciousness just as she was about to enter her home. She also said the spectators heard Elena mentioning someone slapped her on the face before she passed out. This was confirmed later as there were huge patches of bruises on her face, which were very black. Auntie said that Elena was infamous for having a big mouth and making indiscreet comments. She often bragged about things like 
I don't think there is any spirit or even God in this world. If there is, let them come to me. And apparently she was punished for what she had said because it offended them. I was terrified when my auntie told me all this and I dared not go back to my own house and insisted on staying at her apartment. Even my sleeping pattern was disturbed because I would constantly have nightmares of the incident. Soon after, we received the news that Elena had recovered. Apparently, the elderly suggested bringing her to see a bodhisattva, a Buddhist clergyman, and begged for God's help and pardon. They followed the instructions, and miraculously, she recovered immediately. Upon hearing the news, I was so relieved and went back to my normal sleeping routine I also heard that Elena went to work as usual the day following her recovery. I was relieved beyond measure and thought that everyone's life was back to normal. But before it got dark, I heard from the neighbors a most terrifying piece of news. Elena died at noon that day. Then there was a flood of information on the details of how it happened. According to Elena's colleagues, she finished the lunch and said she was tired and wanted to get some sleep. So she receded to her office. After some minutes, they heard some desperate muffling cries and noises and immediately recognized it was from Elena. They hurried into her office to find her kicking and struggling as if she was being strangled by someone and could not breathe. They wanted to help her, but they were too terrified. Very soon, she stopped struggling, and there was silence. Forever for her. Wow, that's an amazing story. Thank you, Canaan, for sending that in. And be sure to send in your nightmare to myhorribledream at gmail.com. So have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? What if you were sentenced to hang for something you didn't do? In our feature story, an innocent man is hanged, but vengeance finds a way and is brutal. The Vengeance of a Tree by Eleanor F. Lewis. Next. Not all encounters end up in the news. Some are passed down from family. Some are kept hidden in journals, and some are reported on the Nightmare Society podcast. On the Nightmare Society, we share your true horror stories, chilling accounts of home invasions, attempted kidnappings, obsessive stalkers, and even close calls with convicted murderers before they landed on a most wanted list. So come join us if you dare, because the scariest stories are the ones that really happened. Through the windows of Jim Daly's saloon in the little town of C, the setting sun streamed in yellow patches, lighting up the glasses scattered on the tables and the faces of several men who were gathered near the bar. Farmers, mostly they were, with a sprinkling of shopkeepers, while prominent among them was the village editor, and all were discussing a startling piece of news that had spread through the town and its surroundings. The tidings that Walter Stedman, a laborer 
on Albert Kelsey's ranch, had assaulted and murdered his employer's daughter, had reached them, and had spread universal horror among the people. A farmer declared that he had seen the deed committed as he walked through a neighboring lane, and having always been noted for his cowardice, instead of running to the girl's aid, had hailed a party of miners who were returning from their midday meal through a field nearby. When they reached the spot, however, where Stedman, as they supposed, had done his black deed, only the girl lay there in the stillness of death. Her murderer had taken the opportunity to fly. The party had searched the woods of the Kelsey estate, and just as they were nearing the house itself, the appearance of Walter Stedman, walking in a strangely unsteady manner toward it, made them quicken their pace. He was soon in custody. Although he had protested his innocence of the crime, he said that he had just seen the body himself on his way to the station, and that when they had found him, he was going to the house for help. But they had laughed at his story, and flung him into the tiny stifling calaboose of the town. What were their proofs? Walter Stedman, a young fellow of about twenty-six, had come from the city to their quiet town, just when times were at their hardest, in search of work. Most of the men living in the town were honest fellows, doing their work faithfully when they could get it, and when they had socially asked Stedman to have a drink with them, he had refused in a rather scornful manner. The infernal city chap, he was called, and their hate and envy increased in strength when Albert Kelsey, had employed him in preference to any of themselves. As time went on, the story of Stedman's admiration for Margaret Kelsey had gone afloat, with the added information that his employer's daughter had repulsed him, saying that she would not marry a common laborer. So Stedman, when this news reached his employer's ears, was discharged, and this then was his revenge. For them, these proofs were sufficient to pronounce him guilty. Yet that afternoon, as Stedman crouched on the floor of the calaboose, grew hopeless in the knowledge that no one would believe his story, and that his undeserved punishment would be swift and sure, a tramp, boarding a freight car several miles from town, sped away from the spot where his crime had been committed, and knew that forever its shadow would follow him. From the tiny window of his prison, Walter Stedman could see the red glow of the heavens that betokened the setting of the sun. So the red sun of his life was soon to set, a life that had been innocent of all crime, and that now was to be ended for a deed that he had never committed. Most prominent of all the visions that swept through his mind was that of Margaret Kelsey lying as he had first found her, fresh from the hands of her murderer. But there was another of a more tender nature. How long he and Margaret had tried to keep their secret until Walter could be promoted to a higher position, so that he could ask for her hand with no fear of the father's antagonism. Then came the remembrance of an afternoon meeting between the two in the woods of the Kelsey estate, how, just as they were parting, Walter had heard footsteps near them, 
and glancing sharply around, saw an evil, scrowling, murderous face peering through the brush. He had started toward it, but the owner of the continents had taken himself hurriedly off. The gossiping townspeople had misconstrued this romance, and when Albert Kelsey had heard of this clandestine meeting from the man who was later on to appear as a leader of the mob, and that he had discharged Stedman, they had believed that the young man had formally proposed and had been rejected, but justice had gone wrong, as it had done innumerable times before and will again. An innocent man was to be hanged, even without the comfort of a trial, while the man who was guilty was free to wander where he would. That autumn night the darkness came quickly, and only the stars did their best to light the scene. A body of men, all masked and having as a leader, one who had ever since Stedman's arrival in town cherished a secret hatred of the young man, dragged Stedman from the calaboose and tramped through the town, defying all, defying even God himself. Along the highway and into Farmer Brown's crosscut they went, vigilantly guarding their prisoner, who, with the lanterns lighting up his haggard face, walked among them with the lagging step of utter hopelessness. There's a good tree, their leader said presently, stopping and pointing at a spreading oak. When the slip knot was adjusted and Stedman had stepped on the box, he added, If you have got anything to say, you'd better say it now. I'm innocent, I swear before God, the doomed man answered. I never took the life of Margaret Kelsey. Give us your proof jeered the leader, and when Stedman kept a despairing silence, he laughed shortly. Ready, men, he gave the order. The box was kicked aside, and then only a writhing body swung to and fro in the gloom. In front of the men stood their leader, watching the contortions of the body with silent glee. I'll tell you a secret, boys. He said suddenly, I was after that poor murdered girl myself. A damn little chance I had. But by God, he had just as little. A pause then. He shunted this earth. Cut him down, fellows. Some time later. It's no use, son. I'll give up the blasted thing as a bad job. There's something queer about that there tree. Do you see how its branches balance it? We have cut the trunk nearly in two, but it won't come down. There's plenty of others around. We'll take one of them. If I had a long rope with me, I'd get that tree down. And yet, the way the thing stands, it would be risking a fellow's life to climb it. It's got the devil in it, sure. So old Farmer Brown shouldered his axe and made for another tree his son following. They had sawed and chopped and chopped and sawed, and yet the tall white oak, with its branches jutting out as regularly as if done by the work of a machine, stood straight and firm. 
Farmer Brown, well known for his weak, cowardly spirit, who in beholding the murder of Albert Kelsey's daughter, had in his fright mistaken the criminal, now in his superstition, let the oak stand, because its well-balanced position saved it from falling when other trees would have been down. And so the tree, the same one to which an innocent man had been hanged, was left for other work. It was a bleak, rainy night, such a night as can be found only in central California. The wind howled like a thousand demons and lashed the trees together in wild embraces. Now and then the weird hoot-hoot of an owl came softly from the distance in the lulls of the storm, while the barking of coyotes woke the echoes of the hills into sounds like fiendish laughter. In the wind and rain, a man fought his path through the bush and into Farmer Brown's crosscut as the shortest way home. Suddenly he stopped, trembling, as if held by some unseen impulse. Before him rose the white oak, wavering and swaying in the storm. Good God! It's the tree I swung Stedman from, he cried, and a strange fear thrilled him. His eyes were fixed on it, held by some undefinable fascination. Yet, there on one of the longest branches, a small piece of rope still dangled, and then, to the murderer's excited vision, this rope seemed to lengthen, to form at the end into a slipknot, a knot that encircled a purple neck, while below it writhed and swayed the body of a dead man. Damn him, he muttered, starting toward the hanging form, as if about to help the rope in its work of strangulation. Well, he never follow me, and yet he deserved it, the black-hearted villain. He took her life and... He never finished the sentence. The white oak towering above him in its strength seemed to grow like a frenzied living creature. There was a sudden splitting sound. Then came a crash, and under the fallen tree lay Stedman's murderer, crushed and mangled. From between the broken trunk and the stump that was left, a gray dim shape sprang out and sped past the man's still form. Away, into the wild blackness of the night. You've been listening to The Vengeance of a Tree by Eleanor F. Lewis. I've enjoyed being with you, but now I must go. I hope there are always stars in your sky, peace in your heart, and wisdom in your thoughts. Please be well, and thank you for listening to me. Thank you.